Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Uh, 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 competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-main, no lanes on the track when we unite and spit, this isn't A-game, better bring your A-game, competition starting to get thick, it's the click, so I hope you watch your A-game, A-main, no lanes on the track when we unite and show, and I'm your host, Mike Gilbert, and I'm joined as always by JD by God Oliva, how you doing JD? I was just telling you before the show, man, I have, uh, I've bit off more than I can chew with teaching and running the broadcast department. And now we've got wrestling with both the high school kids and the little kids. And I've got grad school and the show and I I'm, I'm freaking frazzled. I'm not going to lie. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely exhausted. I, How are you? Dude, I, no, dude, I'm good. I, I do feel you. So a uh, quick programming note. Um, next Thursday night, I don't know if you guys under know this or not. If you're in America, next Thursday night is uh, Thanksgiving. So we will not be going live on Thanksgiving. We're like Impact. We're taking the week off. So um, so we will not be live here next week. But uh, for those of you who are not Patreon subscribers, um, JD and I did a, a two-part series on the WC, WCW invasion of the WWF in 2001, um, where we kind of go in at the, the very last couple of months of WCW's existence and then on into Vince buying WCW and then WCW making their way into WWF and then the ECW and then the whole invasion angle, the pay-per-view, all the way up from about January 2001 all the way through November of 2001. Uh, when the whole thing was over. So we did a two-part series about that earlier this year. Um, it's been exclusive to the Patreon. It has not been put anywhere else. So you guys will get to hear that right here on this, uh, on right here on YouTube, on the Voices of Wrestling uh, podcast feed, our Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything. We're going to, I'm going to put that two-part series together. I'm going to release that to everybody for free. And that's what you guys will get next week right here on Thanksgiving. I feel that was one of our best overtime. Like, uh, I think that actually bridged the two networks, didn't it? It did. We so we started it on Fight Game Media, and it was kind of like um because we were doing stuff for their Patreon, mm-hmm. and it was we didn't even call it overtime. It was just Mike and JD show extra, mm-hmm. and we were just gonna do historical stuff for that. And then when we came over to Voices of Wrestling, we finished the two part series on overtime. So when people do hear it, they're gonna hear they're gonna probably hear me do some Fight Game Media stuff, and then this is gonna go into like Voices of or for overtime. Um, but you know, it's because we're, we, it was, we did it over like a couple of month period. Yeah. It's a lot of change this year for the two of us. Yeah. I, I just got a new job. I mean, I'm still, I'm still in the air force, but I, I switched positions. So they they gave me a position with uh, more responsibility, same pay. So that's good. 
I switched careers. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I just started that new job this week. And I think yesterday I went into work at like 6 a.m. And I didn't get home till 730 last night. Because uh, uh, and I told you offline, JD, I can't really say what happened um, in public, but it was uh, quite the interesting night that I had uh, last night. But because of that, I after lunch today, I got all my stuff done right around lunchtime. I just took the hell off and I came home and I went to the gym and I've just been chilling at the house ever since. That's good. Good for you. I've been uh, said I'm getting to work about 730, I'm getting I'm leaving school about 830. So good. Put in about a good 13 hour day, just about every day this week. We have a half day tomorrow. I'm so excited. Yeah. Like I'm stoked. Yeah. You know what I'm stoked about? <clears throat> um, we we uh we we talked to our buddy John Muse about coming on. We've been trying to get him back on for a long time. I keep and JD, I keep checking yeah. my my phone is my watch to he, see if he's, he's texting me. He's in the green room right now. Let me go oh. ahead and bring uh, let me go ahead and bring uh, let me go ahead and bring John in. I don't even know. Like uh, we didn't really plan this one very well. <laughs> That's what we do. Plan. This was not a. This was not a part of our group chat. So you guys have your own little personal chat going on that uh, that I was not privy to. But part of that conversation you guys had was you inviting him on, and he uh, he gladly accepted. Well, I figured if I invited him on in the group chat, that would like then you would see that because you're not exactly a non-persuasive individual. Like yeah. if I threw that out there, I know you would have read that cue and been like, Hey, yeah. yeah, you should do that. So like, yeah, you know, I was trying to like ease John into this idea because I knew yeah. Mike can, Mike can come on a little strong sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But John Muse, welcome back to the show, man. We love talking to you. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Can you hear me? Well, I'm on the phone. I couldn't get like you video going, but. No, you know, you're shockingly good, actually. Yeah. So what I've noticed is, is that with the cell phone and just on the the browser on the phone, people sound really good. Um, it's 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 like much like a phone call or a Skype call. Uh, we've done call-in shows in the past, and people just click the link on their phone, and they sound pretty good. Yeah, I had no idea how this was going to work, but I'm happy it does. Um, now I'm going to do something Dave does to Brian. Did you guys see uh, Osprey versus Alexander? I so no. um my my new routine John because I'm uh because I'm so far behind everybody like I'm you're 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 in you're in Michigan he's in Chicago so I'm 4 hours behind you guys that comes on at a weird part of the day for me okay today it came on at 3:30 p.m. so I could not I could not watch it and that was like one of the reasons why we moved off of doing an impact show together because I just had a lot of trouble watching the show before we went live on air. So what I do is by the time I'm done with this show um, recording, uh, my family's already like getting ready for bed and stuff like that. So then I'll go downstairs and I'll actually get to watch impact. So I'm really looking forward to it. But what did you think of it, man? Oh, I liked it a lot. Um, they do something. I'm not going to spoil anything since you guys haven't seen it. And you know, maybe listeners haven't seen it as well. Um, Osprey does a little something in there that feeds into what Alexander does, and it's just really good. It's a great match. Osprey's having like the best year ever, so that's all I can say there. Just watch a match, enjoy it. It's all fun. Osprey's the goat. He's the uh, slam dunk for the Flair Thez this year, right? There's like not even a real contender. Well, there's people who are out there arguing that, yeah, but I don't listen to those people because they're crazy. Sorry if you're one of them. Anybody out there? Um, (laughs) No, I'm serious. He's the guy. Can I stop you guys real quick? Um, so you, the three of us, know exactly what the Flarethes is. Oh, can yeah. can can JD? Can you explain what Flarethes means to the the non wrestling observer newsletter subscriber? Do do we have <laughs> that kind of a fan that ever listens? I, the Flarethes is the is the MVP 
of not the rest, not like the most value. I would say he's like the most valuable player, right? In the professional wrestling world. Like the guy who's made the most impact in the sport of professional wrestling during the year. Yeah. And and there's like little pieces involved. What happens is people get stuck on, you know, well, he wasn't a world champ and he wasn't necessarily made eventing and, and some things like that are, that are supposed to be components. Right. And people have a hard time understanding anomalies, right? They don't, they don't understand something that's so rare. And this is what this is. This is rare that somebody's having such a great year. And it's also kind of a down year in other areas. So, you know, there's not a clear cut runaway guy. Meanwhile, we've got a guy out there who's got the best match in like four promotions, four yeah. countries. You know, what is there else to you know, what else is there to say about that? He's he's having a great year. He's the guy. Write yeah, it down. He, he, yeah, he and he's the the most consistently great performer that we've seen this year. He might have had the greatest as far as in ring, he might have had the greatest year of all time. I think you know, people will dispute that, but I think it's gonna be difficult if you just take a look at the statistics and the, not only the star ratings from day, but the cage match ratings. Uh, I think they're gonna compare to anybody, and I'm sure somebody will do a deep dive. But as John was oh, saying, done it, done it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and but and as John was saying, he has done that in so many different promotions. Um, and I I can speak as a guy that has a TNA podcast. You know, he he literally just came over to TNA for Bound for Glory and had the absolute greatest match in TNA history with Speedball Bailey. And then less than a week later has another probably close to five star match with Eddie Edwards. And then tonight on Impact, um, and I and I I have not watched it yet, but people are saying that it's you know right around that four and a half to five stars with Josh Alexander, too. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that it, it's and I've done the deep dive that you talked about, right? Because I had to do it for the Ishii case. Uh, hopefully we can get great news on Ishii in the next, you know, eight hours. Or hours so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I asked I, I asked that. Dave to release it by the time we record, but he has not uh, done that for us. So if, if, if you guys are watching <laughs> or if you're in the chat and that news gets broken, you just let me know and then we'll go breaking news. and We'll, we'll reveal the Hall of Famers. But go ahead, John. Oh, it's all good. I, I did. I did some. You know, basically for the Ishii case, I had to do a deep dive into cage match ratings, Dave's ratings, things like that. Hey. And, and and he came, you know, Osprey come came out ahead of people. He was tied with Kobashi, I believe. And I mean, obviously, we don't have a good sampling with Kobashi, but you know, he came out at the top. So yeah. he he's got the numbers, and and that was before like the last few great matches he's had. That was before the Bailey match. That was before the match he had against uh, Zach Saber Jr. Dude, you and Mora too, right? Yeah. Real quick, we got a little shout out in our chat in our chat room. Right? Jason Bryant, who uh, you guys might not know is, but he is the voice of amateur wrestling. This dude runs the biggest amateur wrestling podcast network of around, and he a uh, good buddy of mine from back in the day. Like he's actually showing up, listening to some pro wrestling talk tonight. Hey, Jason, thanks nice. for coming on. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to. Got a minor celebrity watching. Right? Yeah, well, thank you for being here, Jason. I really well, appreciate it. Now the that. pressure you know, just ramped up. Well, you well know, I, I don't know if you know who you are, so it's you know it's yeah. funny to mention that because like um when I first started writing right and I was getting some traction with some stuff, uh John started following me on Twitter and he started messaging me and I'll be honest, I think I told you for I had no idea who John Muse was because I was not. We joked about you know uh, the flair Thes and what that means and uh, observer readers. I didn't start reading the Observer until two years ago, three years ago, something like that. And then Garrett talked, Garrett Gonzalez, our former boss was like, Hey, you know who John Muse is? And I said, I, I do not educate me. <laughs> and he said, this is a guy who should have been 
one of the top bookers in WCW if they got if they had the chance to get reborn. And I was like, no fucking way. So I like immediately started bugging John. I'm like, hey man, I want to know the story about this. And like we've become really good friends. The three of us specifically become really good friends mm -hmm. over the years. And I have learned more about the ideas behind booking from talking to John than anyone anyone around like i mean i come from uh, a fiction background right like my brain goes to fiction character development you know um you know three point three three uh three act storytelling you know stuff like that talking to john i learn about wrestling and the differences and we've had some interesting conversations over the last couple years and um i'm just gonna say this dude smelled the canary in the coal mine before it started choking mm -hmm. you know i mean it's an it's an honor to uh to kind of talk to you on these things and kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to blow you up because now you're not comfortable with it yourself. So, I mean, like I, I love having you here because I, I definitely want to hear some stories and pick your brain tonight, man. Well, well, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for the kind words. Yeah. I, I like a low profile. That's just me, but um, I try to keep a tight circle, that kind of thing, but thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, it's so excited. It's uh, we appreciate, I appreciate your friendship greatly. I know Mike does too. And said, so I like, well, I love, great. I love having conversations with you and I'm hoping that we can kind of kind of crack open that knot. Cause I think every, I think it's the easiest thing in the world to be an armchair booker, right? Yeah. All oh, of yeah. us, all of us know what the, every company should do. We all think like Hunter or Tony kind of stupid or Scott, the more they're dumb. They don't see, <laughs> yeah. they don't see what's obvious. Right. And then <clears throat> when I write a book, it's real easy for me to say, okay, this character is going to walk across the street. He does what I tell him to do no matter what, because he's not real. Well, wrestling is a completely different environment. And like, let's just get started with that, man. Talk about like your philosophies behind what it's like to, to book a show or book a territory and kind of what goes into it on like a fundamental level. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Honestly, to me, it's it's I go back to in, in my first goal is always good wrestling. That's that's just the framework of it all. Um, I've got there's all kinds of little different philosophies and different approaches involved with with everything you do. And, and they change. There's no rules, um, or at least there's few rules, I should say. I mean, everybody's going to have their own rules about how they want to approach things and do things. But my goal was always. To make sure to have the show end well that was one of the things good wrestling and the show well don't be sucked into rules about what you do in a show as far as the end right so you know when i book shows i would end a show with a cruiserweight match things like that um and of course it had to be a meaningful one it wasn't like i just picked any two random cruiser type things um, but my goal was very simple. Whatever people leave with, I want it to be a positive. That was one of my goals. It's a cheat code. Okay. So if you have good wrestling as your backbone, you get away with a lot of things. It's really that simple. You get away with a lot of things. You can have mistakes, story, whatever you do. But if you have a great match at the end of your show, people leave smiling. And that's what I try to do. I try to go through every show. I look for ways to make people smile, ways to deliver positive, you know, engagement, um, try to get people, you know, and it's not always positive, right? You're obviously going to have heels do some things. Um, 
and, and things like that. But my goal is to a try to make you laugh, try to make you enjoy yourself, give you good wrestling, send you home happy. That's really my philosophy at the top end of things. Now, stories go into a lot of different detail depending on the story, what you want to do, all that stuff. But that's kind of my goal in every show. Make you smile, make you enjoy, make you laugh, make you angry at some people, send you home happy. Like, How do you go, oh, Mike? You're, I, already I don't know so, if anywhere else. No, 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 no. I, 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 no, I have a, I have a good follow-up question because I think one of the things, and I'm not going to call out any promotion specifically. I'm just going to keep this vague. But I think a lot of the companies that are on television right now are having the trouble um, balancing between good wrestling and comedy and story. And sometimes there's some weeks where it's like, oh man, it seems like it's just one comedy skit after another. And then they, they try to book in it with a couple of good matches and hope that you're, you know, you forget about some of the comedy and, and, you know, and I think, I think it was Jeff Jarrett and some other folks are talking about all the different flavors of ice cream and I, using that analogy. I've always been the type of guys, like if you try to please everybody, you're probably going to end up pleasing nobody. And I think that we've seen that with some of the television this year from various companies. Um, how do you figure a way to balance um, that part of it out to not get too heavy on one thing versus the other? I don't know if there's necessarily like a formula. Um, I did prescribe to the smorgasbord type approach. Um, that was how I usually looked at it too. It wasn't necessarily the ice cream approach. I, I get that. It's the same thing more or less, but yeah. on a show when I would run it, I would try to do a few different things. I wouldn't lean too heavy one way. Think of a product as a scale. And what I mean by that is, um, you want stability and you, on one side of your scale could be like a negative lean and one is a positive lean. And I always try to make sure that I lean a little positive, if that makes sense. So yeah. I don't want to have a lean anywhere. If I go too heavy, if I'm going to go too heavy anywhere, I'm going to go too heavy and giving you guys some kick-ass some wrestling, kick uh, kick wrestling. That's my lean. That's my lean. It's going to be that. And I can do some comedy. I can do some WWE shit if I want to do it. But I can make it make sense within my universe. And my universe is based on kick-ass wrestling. It's not yeah. based on comedy and bullshit and all that other stuff. Sorry if I get fired up here. I'm a little fired up. Oh, um, get fired up, baby. Let's if, do it. This is our show. We like, we <laughs> there, like there, there's a rule. Yeah, there's a rule to every universe. You set the rules. Those are expectations. Your fans understand them. You can set them yourself. You can move them around a little bit, whatever it is. But you have baseline rules in your universe. You set them. If your audience likes it and responds positively, you run with it. And you don't screw with it. You don't start adding a bunch of bullshit that you didn't do before. You don't start changing your recipe on people abruptly. If you're going to do stuff like that, you've got to do it slowly over time. Otherwise, you don't transition right. You start sending confusing messages to your fan base. They don't know what it is. People get angry at you. They walk away, whatever it is. And the problem with fans is this, is that you don't know when they go away. You start seeing numbers dropping, but you don't know when people give up and don't come back. So my approach is always, I've got my universe. I've got my formula. I've got my lean. The lean's going to be on good wrestling. The other stuff I'm going to mix. I'm not going to go too heavy. And I can sit there and I can watch a product and I can tell when something leans too far one way on any product. If it's WWE, I know when they go serious. I know when they go too far for their scale. Same thing with AEW. And AEW's been leaning. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, the last couple of weeks, they've been, they, I think they, they realized, okay, and they've scaled back a little bit. 
but that lean had been starting for a while and it was getting worse and worse and worse, but they scaled back. So the last couple of weeks I've liked, they've been better, mm-hmm. um, but they did have a lean and, and you've got it. You've got it. You know, when you start, when you set your expectations of your fan base and you set your rules of the universe and you start mucking with them, that's when you start having problems. You already have enough influences that can mess with that external stuff, internal stuff that you can't control injuries, things like that, that can change how you mix things and your linear product. Don't purposely do things like that. Anyway, I'm done. I got fired up for a minute. No, I mean, like, I think the issue with the third, with the, you know, the 31 flavors analogy is that if I go to the ice cream shop, I'm going to choose the flavor that I like. Right. And I'm not going to take the rest of them when I'm watching a wrestling show. You're basically saying, hey, motherfucker, eat this chocolate. And I'm like, I don't want to eat chocolate. I don't like chocolate ice cream. Well, you're going to have to eat it for at least the next 45 seconds. And that makes me, that puts a bitter taste in my mouth, literally and figuratively. Right? I think that's kind of the issue with like people who talk about that. Well, we want something for everybody. And the problem is, like Mike said, if you try to do something for everybody, you wind up pleasing nobody. And I think we've got a lot of that specifically in the AEW side right now where a lot of their uh more hardcore fan base has been myself included in this has been kind of turned off by a lot of the storytelling lately and like i said we talked about this a while ago and you sent up red flags to me a long time ago and i was like i think you're being overcritical on this one and there was stuff that i will be the first to say i was wrong you were like you saw things problems creeping up that i did not foresee and here we are Yeah, um, I, I, I'm breaking up on audio. I'm going to drop off and come back oh, in. Sorry. Is that all right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can't I can't hear while you're breaking up really bad. I'll be right back. No problem, man. So like I was saying, like, the problem with the 31 flavors analogy, Mike, is that when you're forced to eat what you don't like, it makes you not like the rest of the restaurant. It makes me feel like I have yeah. to eat it, you know? And I don't well, like being forced to eat something I don't like. Yeah, you know, the thing was, is that, um, you know, we went through this when we went, when we were doing our Brace for Impact show. There were, there were always at least a couple of segments on, on Impact that we were like, this is stupid. But it was, it was tolerable for the most part. We were like, okay, look, I'm ordering a, I'm ordering a dinner. And look, I don't, I don't want the coleslaw, but they gave me coleslaw. So I'm just not going to eat that. Right. Well, if it gets to be where it's like too much, now they're force feeding you to eat it. Well, then it's like, okay, God damn, I don't really think that I want that. Now it's spoiling the rest of my dinner. And I think that's mm-hmm. where we got to. We got to a point there for a little while with impact where like you quit the show. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, <laughs> and, and totally. Then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you got there with impact. And then, um, and then here lately with AEW now, John's right. The last couple of weeks have been pretty damn good. I thought um, they, they, they've scaled some of the stuff back. We still get Adam. We still get some of that. I, I skip all the timeless Tony stuff. I'm over it. I, that jumped the shark for me a little, uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so I, I try to, to skip the bad that way. It doesn't spoil the rest of the show, but, um, I can see where everybody's coming from with, uh, with some of the problems in that promotion, because look, they, they made their name and they were created to be the anti WWE. And then slowly, but surely they started to you know, look more and more like a WWE product. And I, I have a theory as to why that, that might be. Um, and I think it centers around more than just one person. I think there's a big strategy at play, but, um, uh, but John, you you were back. JD had asked you a question. Yeah. I apologize. What was the question real quick? I have no memory of what I actually, I just, let me pick up where you guys were then. Um, okay. 
all right, without being in the room, it's hard to tell. That's why it's like, I, I want to be critical, but you can't be critical too much because you don't know. And, and if, if it's a choice they want to make to move kind of in that way, that that's fine, right? It's all about choice. And as a booker, that's your choice. So if that's where Tony Khan wants to go, that's fine. Um, they just need to make sure they do it in such a way where the fans kind of, it's a smooth transition, right? That would be how you'd want Oh, we lost them again. Speaking of smooth transitions, that was not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, ho- hopefully, hopefully we bring, hopefully we bring uh, back John. So JD, before John gets back, um, I w- so I watched Dynamite this morning um, mm-hmm. before my family woke up. I didn't get a chance to watch it last night. I got through half and- of it. I got super tired and fell asleep. Not because the show was bad, but because, um, you know, I am exhausted. So yeah. One one thing that really stuck out to me during that show as i watched the young bucks versus a uh, pentagon junior and a uh, commander i don't care that they call him penta Seto miedo i like he's pentagon junior to me that's, that's what i like junior. yeah so um it, the, when the moment that the young bucks came out on the stage they look like they would rather be doing anything else in the world than coming out there even in ontario california close to their hometown right there in socal in front of their family i just you've ever just noticed like the look on someone's face when you're like Man, they don't really want to be doing that. They don't really want to be here. And then the match wasn't bad because they're all really good wrestlers and they did some cool stuff, but it just seemed like there was just something missing from the Young Bucks. Did you notice that? Did you even get a chance to see that? I didn't know. I mean, part of me with the Bucks, I'm always thinking they're. I know the narrative that it's in our circles is that the Young Bucks don't care anymore. And I don't know if I buy that. Because I think I, that they enjoy the melodrama aspect of things, and they are yeah. doing that with Kenny. And I thought that they 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 did that. That's a very young bucks thing, right? And like I thought that I didn't. I got the we're too cool for school vibe that they tend to give off when they're doing their heel stuff. I I didn't see. I don't give a shit, young bucks. I know you're not the first person I've heard say that, but I didn't read yeah. that. I, I just feel like it, we've been getting that a lot from them lately, and I did. It's been going around the internet that on the AEW roster page that the EVP titles are no longer on them, but it's still on Kenny. I don't know if that's been like an official thing or if that's a storyline thing. I can't really tell. Um, and the fact that Jeff Jarrett is in SoCal and Sanjay Dutt's in SoCal doing press, and the Young Bucks aren't, uh, makes me think that something is there's some there there um, with with those guys and the the match. Like I just felt like even though they were doing some cool moves because that's what they do, that's what they do, um, and they they had some kickouts and they had some super kicks. I just felt like there was something missing from the match. There was an energy to the match that you would normally get with those with talents like that, and I felt like it was coming from the Young Bucks side. It just seemed like they weren't interested in being there at all. I, and I and maybe maybe it's just me. I do I do know that some other people kind of maybe caught on to it lately. I hadn't really noticed anything like that with them. Um, I know last week the promo that they had with with Omega and Jericho, I did not think was a strong promo. Not that they're great promos to begin with, but, they're, they're great, yeah. I, but I feel like they've, they've always, you know, when they have a good story to sink their teeth into, they can really get into it. I felt like we didn't get that from them last week. And then seeing their match, it got announced, I think either the day of or the day before. Um, and then they showed up and it just kind of seemed like they were going through the motions to me. I don't know. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just me, but I, I, I did feel that. And that's why I put that as kind of like, like one of the top topics for discussion on tonight because I've never seen that from the Bucks before. I am on the AW roster page right now, and both Matt and Nick are executive vice presidents. Oh, so it's back. Okay. All right. 
So, um, and to be frank, AEW has some of the worst social media website people in the game. Jeff Jones sucks at his job. <laughs> he was not a great manager and he might be a worse social media manager. So, you know, those kind of things. I don't know, man. Um, there's definitely, they definitely aren't the focus of this promotion right now. Perhaps yeah. that changes. I mean, like, who can who can be the focus when MJF is is literally the lifeblood of this show right now, and he's the most insincere baby face in history. I don't care for any of this stuff, to be quite frank. So, John, you're back. What do you think of what's been going on with the Young Bucks lately? Have you noticed that you know they they feel less important now than they ever have before to this promotion? Yeah, it feels that way, and maybe we're starting to see the change where they're going to take a bigger role. Um, you know, right now it's they're. They're obviously in a decent enough match, right? We're going to have Jericho and, and Kenny against them, and that's going to be really good. Um, you have to have confidence in that one. Um, it's got an interesting story with their title shot up on a line, so we'll see where they go. Um, but it could be – we're seeing more of them on TV lately, so maybe it'll be a sign of things to come, and we'll start to see them get back on track. I think they're really important to the promotion. They're part of you know the, the fabric, so getting them involved would be great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the um, we, we were talking about Will Ospreay earlier. Now, Fightful broke a story earlier today. Well, actually, let me go back even further. Before that, Tony Khan made an announcement on Twitter that um, – now, this was yesterday – that at full gear, AEW is going to announce the signing of a pro wrestler that everybody in AEW respects – one of the best wrestlers in the world. And so two names immediately popped up. Uh, Nick Nemeth. Nick Nemeth. Yeah. And I don't know. Mustafa, Mustafa Ali. No. Mustafa Ali. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the two names that really came out immediately were Mercedes Monet um, and Will Ospreay. Now, Andrew Zarian, who's pretty plugged in guy, especially when it comes to Warner Brothers, has been – he tweeted like a picture of an Osprey and then – like a picture of Larry Bird, uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a guy from Indiana that's coming in. I, I don't know, but uh, um, the the two rumors are are Mercedes Monet and uh, Will Ospreay. Well, earlier today, Sean Ross Sapp posted in Fightful Select that it is not in fact Mercedes Monet that she might still be hurt, and then uh, she'll probably come to AEW eventually, but it's not going to be this weekend. So, do we think it's uh, Will Ospreay, and what kind of an impact would he have here in uh, AEW? Well. I don't know who wants, if you want to go first, J.D., but John, my thought real quick. You're the guest, John. You're the guest. All right. All right. That's enough. Um, if it's Osprey, I would hope we'd have a little more fanfare, I guess is the best way of saying that one, um, because I think he he's the best free agent or best upcoming free agent that there is. Um, Mercedes would be too, right? Um, so I don't know. If it's Osprey, I would hope there's a little more fanfare involved, but we'll see. Maybe they want to do something different this time. Um, I will find out Saturday. I mean, they're kind of using it as a gimmick to help draw pay-per-view numbers because I got a hunch that they're not tracking. They're not trending very well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I mean, that's one of Tony's favorite gimmicks is I'm going to unleash a surprise. I don't think he realizes how much interest he's uh, kind of wallowed through with that. Um, I am. I'm of the mind that it's probably going to be Will Ospreay at this point. Right. If, if people are, if they're out, if the, the word outright tells you that it's not Monet, it sounds like she really fucked that ankle up pretty bad. Yeah. You know, that's the vibe. Yeah, it does, yeah, it does sound serious. Hopefully uh, she'll be back soon, though. But, yeah, it does but sound serious. 
if it's Osprey and he's if they're gonna kind of have make him sign his contract, they better make a big freaking deal out of this, right? Like he better be showing up in like a stretch limousine and like really, <laughs> really put it out, like make a big deal because this is a big score for them. You, you and I have been talking about it for a while that this is uh, this has been a fight. Like we were seeing this if 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 it's Osprey this early in the game and they actually could get him before. He thought he could really hit free agency. That's a massive coup. Yeah. 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 And, and I would hope, you know, you always want to align um, delivery and hype. Right. So if it's somebody like Osprey that he signed, this is one of those times where you could say, this is a huge deal and, and really push it and then deliver it. And people go, yeah, it was a huge deal. And it helps build your trust. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of a, it's, you know, it, yeah, sure. There's times when you're going to, you know, under promise over deliver, but I don't think you necessarily have to do that here. It, if it's Osprey, you, you could really run with it and, and it would live up to it. Mm-hmm. Would, be to, a, would be a, sorry, JD, go ahead. Well, so they have to run. <clears throat> they have to do this. Cause the last, everybody shit on the last announcement. Oh, we got a big yeah. announcement coming. Oh, we're going back to London in nine <laughs> months. <laughs> we oh, already knew that guys. <laughs> yeah. You told us you were going to do that months ago. Okay. Like that was, I feel like we've been, I feel like he's been panicking a lot lately, which again, I think goes back to booking because like, that's something we, that we, that we talk about a lot as fans is like this long-term booking versus this week to week stuff. And John, is that hard to shift from a week to week mindset to saying, okay, here's the plan for three, six, nine months from now. Well, no, you can do both. I mean, you know, you can do a thing where some things are, are that week to week and some things are longer term, but you, you want your bigger elements to have a bigger plan behind them because they're, they're you're trying to build and, and, and maximize the value on those things. Um, so going week to week is kind of hard now, you know, again, we don't know in AEW, you know, what they view or how far out they actually are looking. We don't see that, you know, you can do a mixed blend of week to week and long, long range. Um, I can't get a read on it right now. Like, you know, like we talked about the Wembley announcement, there was a major announcement. Fans don't necessarily see it as a major announcement. That's why it was kind of received that way. I didn't um, see it as a major announcement. Right. And then, and then the G1 is kind of like, they just, just let it out in a promo and collision with really little fanfare. And it's like, people have been waiting for this G1. <laughs> yeah. I wrote, I wrote about it in 2019 when I was with, mm-hmm. back when I was with fan sided, like this has been something that's been speculated about in this company for years. And it really, and I, maybe this isn't accurate, but it really has the fee and the fact that Danielson, he's like, all right, Danielson's going to be in there. And he looks like a goddamn mummy. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's patched up, but you know what? He's going to be the best damn mummy you've ever seen. Oh, I agree with that. And I kind of well, think it's a bad hey, thing. I'm hey, don't, it, don't disrespect good. one Ron Reese, WCW legend. Don't, yeah. don't disrespect the seven foot monster. Mike. Mike, he wasn't a mummy. He was a yete. Yete, yeah. Yete. Yeah. My joke with Danielson is that he could wrestle in a suit of armor, and it's going to be good. It's you just anything he's got, he's going to deliver. It's going to be great. But you know, my G one, I had a G one. I've ran G ones at the independent level, um, and my WCW pitch had a G one in it, the one that got me hired. Um, Let's hear it. yeah, no, it, it was just a junior heavyweight one. It's oh, nothing, okay. future, you know, just a junior heavyweight one. But that was part of it because the whole thing was, you know, cruiserweight and trying to establish things. So I used a G1 to build the story that I had for Chavo and 
and then also establish some characters for some people um and you know just storylines but yeah the g1 thing was like it, it kind of just released out there and everybody's waiting for it you know that's something you could really trumpet and again it would be like osprey you could really trumpet that and and then you start building that thing of where whatever you say is big is big whatever you you know it has to align Here, here's what i'm hoping is i hope on that pay-per-view show on saturday that they make a they announce if i'm if i'm on the creative team if i'm sitting in tony khan's private jet whispering evil things into his ear like a person <laughs> who made me quit the impact show um i would be saying hey we should unleash uh, an awesome kick-ass video introduce all the participants hype the fuck out of this thing because we want to make it a big deal and make mm-hmm. it a big deal like i think that's one thing is sometimes i think tony promotes well and sometimes i think he kind of under promotes things that should be hyped up yeah, you can see a mix of that. What I what I honestly thought was, and and I don't know where they are in their planning on this or how far ahead they are yet. Um, I would want to start building. The idea is that you want this G one to take place across all the shows. Build your synergy, right? Um, and I would have thought we'd get one of the pools at least by now. But I mean, everybody does things different. Maybe he's going to roll the pools out all at once in a big video, like you said. Um, but you could have released. This week on um, Dynamite, you could have at least maybe told people what was coming next week's Dynamite, but they may not want to get ahead of themselves. But yeah, you want to get it coming and, and just build it up. Who? Because everybody wants to know who's in the pool. You can have an announcement for that. You can run a segment on it, promote it up, whatever you want to do. But yeah, you know, there's there's opportunities there to hype it if they want. One well, thing I'll never I, if, the, oh, if this new signing is Will Ospreay, I think that the second entrant that they're going to want to announce is Will Ospreay, because if you're bringing him in, don't you want him to be a part of your G1, right? I would, yeah, if he's in it. Yeah. Or, I mean, if he's signed one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's where I would go. And 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 before you, I'm sorry, Jade, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, but um, just question for both of you guys: If they bring in Osprey and he's managed by Don Callis, is that a disappointment to you guys? No. No, okay. not at the start. I, I think you keep you keep where he is going, and then you take it from there. Okay. Why would that? Why is that a disappointment? I, I've I've seen that online. They're like, oh, he's just going to come in, and uh, Don Callis is going to steal his heat. That's I've seen I've seen that I've seen that on Twitter a couple times. I have not responded because I just oh agree. ignore those I, crazy people. Yeah, yeah. So I was just curious to see what you guys thought. Okay, here. Okay, John. If I'm wrong, feel free to say no, JD. You're dumb. But I think <laughs> the mo- the long term money in Osprey is is a baby face. Right, yes, they have him working as a heel. So I mean, like, isn't that can't that be part of the story? And then, like, I know yeah. I'm gonna we can take a journey with him, right? Like, you can you can you sign him. Callus makes a big deal. Like he's in this storyline right now, and then you can go to town with him. Like Dave had a great suggestion. Like if there is Will Osprey, you crown him. You put the title on him at Wembley. Yes. Because then, yeah, like, and like we all, we always talked about, like I wasn't a big fan of, of doing something with Will until you knew you had him. If they've got him, then you then you start booking this out. Sorry, Max, the title's coming off you eventually, right? Yeah. And you get it right. on Will Osprey in in Wembley Stadium because that's that's a moment, right? Am I nuts? No, no, no that's that's where you have to go. He's got to be a baby face winning at Wembley. Yeah. yeah. So we've been getting some comments in the chat, and I've seen it on Twitter too that um, that Tony Khan would not ruin the relationship. So this comes from Renee Valdez. Tony Khan is not isn't going to destroy the New Japan relationship just so he can poach Osprey. Um, but here, here here's my here's my counter to that. Um, and and Dave and Brian talked about this on their show. Their partners they mm-hmm. they might just have an agreement in place, and New Japan would much rather Osprey go to AEW 
Um, so that way they could still probably get some dates on him for some of their bigger shows, as opposed to going to WWE where he becomes essentially a ghost to them. He's like that where they might change his name and they might do all this other stuff. But in, in AEW, you're still going to get some dates on him. You still get to see him. Right. And if you're new yeah. Japan, it's definitely because Will said he's pretty much he's gone. Will told everybody he's gone. Yeah. And yeah. if you're new Japan and you want him, you can. This is and this is where this is the advantage they have is the fact that Tony Khan, it does have a relationship with them and with Rocky Romero specifically, they can go, Hey man, here's what we'll do. You sign with them. Now do a contract. You're out. You're out in February. And then you can come back whenever you want or whenever we need you. And he doesn't, I think that's a much better deal. And then you never let him get on the free agent market in the first place. It serves new Japan much better to have Will Ospreay, in AEW. Hey, by the way, Mike, John, who is Will Ospreay wrestling at Wrestle Kingdom? Refresh my memory. Uh, John oh, Moxley a, and uh, Finley. Who cares about Finley? John yeah. Moxley. Who does John Moxley's regular contract with? AEW. Thank you. Like, yeah, yeah. Like it's it, this work. That's this is like best case scenario to both of them. And if so, that's actually a smart business move. John, you said something before about um knowing where things are going from week to week and especially like the audience knowing what the matches are as a an avid comic fan like stories always go from from week to week and or from month to month and you kind of have an idea about where stuff is going thereon mm -hmm. i will never understand why why wrestling shows don't book to build next week's matches you know like I, I don't understand that. What? Why? Why is that so difficult? Why is it so difficult for for fans to know? Why is it so difficult for them to tell us what's going to happen next week on the show? I, you know, it's hard to say without being there to know what they want to do. Not I just mean, AEW, but anybody. Yeah, WWE well, do. Well, I mean, you'll see it. You'll what you see it in between. Like you'll see it sometimes. It happens for a little while where they'll put lines in the sand and build to something and then you'll see them back off of it, different products. Right. Um, mm. it's, I favor the idea of knowing what's coming a week out. Um, you don't have to get locked into it. You know what I mean? As far as the, the announcements and, in plotting ahead, you do want to set lines in the future though, where you can build things. And if you don't think that way, it becomes very hard to keep momentum behind everything, your product, your talent, all that stuff works based on momentum. And if you don't, if you're, if you're not, you have to plan out to some degree. And, and it's just as a fan, I think it helps. You don't have to do everything that way, but having a few things here and there where, you know, okay, well, next week is this next week is that, and you know, a week out. Um, and, and to me, like the G1 point I mentioned earlier, um, if your idea is to have synergy across the shows, which is what this gives you, um, start getting people into that now. Yeah. You know, start announcing, you know, announce your pools, get them out there. Maybe they got a big rollout video. It'll be awesome. And that could be that's then you're like, okay, you know, you have to wait and see what they're gonna do. Um, so it could it could work out. But yeah, you do want to know like a little bit out in advance. And and you don't have to have seen people say this too and ignore this, that you need to have the whole thing mapped out, the whole G1, and you need to know what it's gonna be at the end and all this. You don't have to do that. You just have to stay ahead. You can have it internally, but you don't have to have it all announced. New Japan does that, but you don't have to. It's not a rule. Um, as long as you know, like, we got what's coming. So you just make sure you stagger out your big matches across the different shows. Make sure people know a little bit ahead of time that they're coming, and you're fine. John, 
the reason I really wanted, I kind of talked to you about this coming on tonight is um, Dave Meltzer has always talked about your Jericho pitch, the story that you went with to WWF in night in two. 2001? One? 2001? Am I right? 2001. April 2001. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the year WCW collapsed. So yeah. you were you were on board. You were going to book. This is official, by the way. This is this is reality for people listening. <clears throat> John was going to be the booker of the cruiserweight division in the uh, Fusion Media-led WCW. That didn't yes. happen. Um, so then you got a shot to write with WWE. And Dave Meltzer is always like, it, it, it always comes out in random, you know, Wrestling Observer uh, radio. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, the John Muse Jericho pitch is like the best story that's never been done. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> well, parts, always, of it, parts of it have been done. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. So, like, can you, like, I, I think a lot of people, like me specifically, and again, I only know this because I know you, can you tell us? Because again, Mike and I are pushing. I don't know. You didn't hear us earlier. Mike and I are gonna. Uh, well, while we're on break for the holidays, we're gonna release our WCW Invasion, uh, two part. Oh, okay. and um, it's re-released basically. So, I'm a big fan of like alternate history stories. So, what I would would like you to talk about That's is me. this. Yeah, that. <laughs> um, no comment. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what could have been? If uh, Stephanie McMahon was actually good at her job at writing the writing the television <laughs> show, <laughs> all right. So we'll we'll take a step back real fast, and and then we'll go forward. Um, I didn't go to them; they came to me. Um, they reached out to me. Now, my history with WWF actually, and I'll say WWF now because this is really what they were when we were talking about all this. Um, my history with them goes back to 1991. People don't really know that, but that's when it started. Um, I sent things over to them. I took advantage of a timeline. I was just a goofy fan, right? Still am. Um, I sent some ideas to them in 1991, and they started calling my house. They started sending me legal releases and things like that. So that's how far back my history with them goes. Did you come up with the Cobra? What's that? The Cobra with Jake the Snake. Was that you? No, been way, cool. way cooler if it was. I'm sorry. Sorry, no, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> pitch a cobra bite. Just messing around. Continue. Yeah, no, we're good. Um, but I sent them like three months of plans back in '91. Um, I sent it when most of the office, except for Vince, was gone. Um, to Europe, and then I started get. I got you know within a week, I got the certified letters from them, and they started calling my house, talking to my mom. Um, good times. So. That happened then. Then in the mid-90s, I did some things, too, that, that were on their request. And then 2001 came. And, and what I think happened with 2001 was I think they found out what Bischoff had been planning. And then they started kind of exploring some of those avenues. Um, but I got called from their office on a Friday near the end of the day Um I don't want to say the name, but anyway, it was, it's somebody, somebody that, that would have the authority called me up and said, we want you to pitch. And then they told me what they wanted me to pitch and what they wanted me to pitch was launching WCW. And the, the rules, they kind of had some parameters involved. Um, let me get my notes here. Basically, they wanted to launch WCW as a separate. For, this is another thing, too. People always give Dave a hard time. WWF wasn't going to do. WWF was going to launch WCW. 
Okay. You don't start calling people up, asking them to pitch launches if you're not going to launch. Um, they wanted to launch it as a separate brand and, you know, get the war going. They wanted me to use the McMahon family problems as a driver. And there would be TV and pay-per-view for WCW. But they wanted me to launch WCW. That's what they wanted me to pitch. They asked for that. The normal creative process for WWF at the time was they would send you some materials and you would send them two pitches. And it would be whatever you wanted. It just had involved their people. There was like a little bit of, there was some parameters around it. Um, but you would send them whatever two ideas you wanted. This case was different. They wanted me to send them something specific. So that's how that got started. Um, anything else or you want to go forward with the idea itself? No, go forward with the idea. We're, we're anxious to hear it. We were All both right. on mute. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, no, so, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my daughter was outside my office singing a song. So I had, to, I, had to I, I, I had the, I had the uh, hillbilly train running through town. So I apologize for that on my end too. Yeah. So, so they, they called me and asked me to do that. So I got working on that piece. And then over the next, you know, week or so I started going through, um, the idea itself. And then got, I had to build a resume for them. So I had to write a whole bunch of stuff down. Um, and did all that. Then the idea itself. Basically, the idea is it's Jericho. Um, he was going to be the catalyst to be, you know, th the guy to be the star, at least as far as WCW when it starts. Um, I don't know if you wanted to really walk through it, but the idea is that Vince McMahon wants to kill WCW in the crib. And he was going to use Jericho as his surrogate to steal the title and take it back to him. That's the premise. Um, in storyline purposes, Jericho was going to have X amount of time left on his contract. If you recall at that window, Jericho was in a feud with, I think, Steve Regal, Triple H, Steph, Vince, the whole deal, right? The whole family was against him and Regal was against him at the time. So we were going to create a line, basically the Starcade you know, planning it out because this is several months of an idea. Starcade was going to be the end of Chris Jericho's contract is what the idea was. And then the goal was he was going to bring the title back to Vince on the next Monday Night Raw. So if, if you think about it in other terms, it's kind of similar to the whole, you know, Punk wins a title from Cena on the last day of his contract. It's, it's then... in that. Go ahead. So it took them ten years to actually do the story that you had pitched to them. I wonder, I wonder if they like just remembered that. It's like you know, remember that that pitch that John Muse made about Jericho? <laughs> we should do that with CM Punk. I don't know. Yeah, it could. You know, I mean, it's just it's hard to say if if they remembered that or they just came up on it on their own. And you know, who knows? But all they did for me, which I'm happy with, is that they proved the idea worked. Yeah. You know, it was an expiring contract deal. So, I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go into the idea itself. I can do some walkthrough and high moments because I had it broken down into chapters when I sent it to them. It was 10 pages. That's that. Wow. That's a, that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> um, I I've always liked this idea because I think that Chris Jericho would have been the smarter character to use as the WCW guy because he was a WCW guy. They in real life, WWF went and got him because of the work he had done in WCW. So this makes complete sense to me. Please, I mean, whatever you feel comfortable talking with, we we like listening to you. Oh, okay, well, thanks. So, 
what happened is this would have been, you know, we would have, the goal was to have, because again, I'm trying to launch the product, right? So what we were going to do is the beginning stages of it are all part of WWF. And then we would start merging. We would launch WCW and we would have back and forth stuff going on. Because again, we're trying to, we're trying to keep the synergy between the shows and the audiences to where they want to watch across both shows. So that was kind of the flow that I took with it. And then there would be the point where the products would officially separate where you wouldn't have as much mingling, you know, although the story would have Vince promoting it because again, the whole idea at the end was that Jericho was going to bring the title back and present it to Vince. Um, and then, and then, you know, WCW would be launched and have pay-per-views by that point. So if you remember back in that time frame too, the McMahon family strife, the idea behind it would be that each family member would have 25% ownership of WWF. So, you know, Linda, Vince, Shane, Steph, all 25%, which gives Shane the ability to be on WWF TV. Shane would be the only owner of WCW. So that's kind of sets our framework. So we would start this whole thing off with a very simple vignette or interview or whatever between, not interview, but vignette or some sort of, you know, all you do the, the, the camera stuff and yeah. everybody that's listening, please give me, give me this, grant me this favor. Understand this is a 20 something year old idea. So yeah. some of the tropes, if I hit on them, they weren't as bad then as they are now. So <laughs> if I suggest something, you go, well, that's dumb. Okay. Roll 20 years off the clock on that. Okay. Because I look back and read some of the stuff and I go, yeah, I wouldn't do that now because different time and place. Um, so most, what we would have is most so of the stuff ahead. they actually did was really dumb too. So like, let's not, let us not forget. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I want to give myself that little leeway of, Hey, look, yeah, I get it. Some of the stuff might go, that's stupid, but you know, uh, it's 20 years ago. Um, so the idea is that Shane's going to be launching WCW. So he's recruiting. So we have a little setup. A little interview between Shane or a little vignette between Shane and, and uh, Jericho where Shane's trying to talk to him about coming over and Jericho establishes that he has six months left on his deal. So we, we set that ground month, ground groundwork, six to eight months. We set it up right at the start before anybody really realizes where we're going with it. We set our contract time frame. Um, and, and then we're good there. So then we set up the frustration, right? Because Jericho's been frustrated with Vince and all that other treatment. We have him set up with a match against a, you know, another contender for the IC title. Jericho wins it. So this would naturally position him as the guy to get an intercontinental title shot. So then, you know, next week, Vince gives Vince has an announcement and he gives the title shot to the guy that Jericho just beat. Again, he's screwing with Jericho. So then Jericho comes out and confronts Vince and in long story short, he more or less asks for a release right there and storms off, storms off, which pisses Vince off, as you can imagine, right? Because he embarrassed him on TV. Jericho just says, I'm done. This is nonsense. I'm out of here. He goes. And then we just go from there. So then we go to the back. We see Jericho packing his bags. They're like, well, what are you going to do? You can't go anywhere. He goes, I can go home. So as he's packing his bags, we go back. Vince interrupts a match, demands Jericho come out. So then Jericho comes out and he says, who, you know, who the hell are you? Embarrass me on TV, that kind of stuff. So then we set the stage and Vince accuses, you know, Jericho, Shane put you up to this, didn't he? That kind of stuff. Jericho says, 
I'm done. I want out. I'm sick of you, your daughter, your son-in-law, your commissioner. I'm just done. Vince says, I'm not going to let you walk away. And then we go back and forth and challenges are thrown out. And essentially what we get is Jericho is going to set himself up for a match where if Jericho wins, the contract is transferred to Shane. That's the, that's the, the key point in there. As soon as this happens, as soon as Jericho cho- you know throws this out and Vince wants his piece of it too, Jericho puts his hair on the line. Triple H music comes out. Triple H wants a match. And that's where we go to at that point. So we set up the whole thing where Jericho wins against Triple H. He gets to go transfer to WCW and he gets to go to Shane and gets away from Vince in the bullshit. If Triple H wins, Jericho loses his hair. And that's what we do there. And that's a pay-per-view match. And Jericho naturally would win. And the idea behind there, and we do some, some teasing on this, is that there would be a point in the match where Vince can help Triple H, but he doesn't. A little bit of a seed, you know, because you realize you don't know at the time that they're kind of working together in their own way. So Vince burns Triple H by not helping him. Jericho wins, but you don't really point it out. It just happens in the background. So that's where we're at to that point. And that's how Jericho gets his contract transferred to Shane. Any any questions? Anything on that one? I don't need to keep talking and talking and talking. No, no, no you're for, we're just we're we're just uh, listen. listening to the yeah, we're, I love, we're just listening. I love creative process stuff, so yeah. I'm I'm digging this right now. I don't I, okay. I can't I can't pinpoint probably where this thing went went uh went sideways though with WWF. Yeah, I kind of got he, a hunch he, where you went wrong. He, he pitched <laughs> he pitched uh Jericho beating Triple H <laughs> and they were well, like, Nope, not not in two thousand one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, silly me. I recognize Jericho had had this stuff to be the guy, but you know, yeah. and I thought I thought because here's the other thing too is that I gave them the out. You know, you can only write an idea mm-hmm. to certain points. I mm-hmm. gave them the out. You know, Vince Burns Triple H here. Triple H is going to bring this up later as part of the problem, to where when Jericho comes back with the belt, Triple H could be the guy to come out and make a deal then and beat him. He can get his win back, but we had mm-hmm. to we had to build somebody out of this. You know. Yeah. Turns out you're wrong. They didn't have to build anybody out of this, and nobody got built. Yeah, well, you know, that's, you know, what can you do on that one? I had the right goal. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. So so this is all timed, basically, to when WCW is going to launch as a show. So, you know, and and through this time, he's been recruiting guys. So the basic, when when WCW comes back with Nitro, we've got, you know, Jericho debuting there is the idea who else Shane might have taken, and then Vince would have promised that he's going to show up. So that's that's how we would launch it, and that's kind of the hook that we would have there. That was, you know, you didn't want to just do a cold start or a cold launch for their, their show. You had to give them something, so that was the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first show, you do little stupid things that they do. You know, Shane's warning security, warning things that Vince is going to do this or Vince is going to try, and you have you know, Vince trying, right? You show him doing mm-hmm. things, trying to get in, whatever else you want to do. Um, then the main event would essentially be, well, actually prior to the main event, um, there'd be something going on in a parking lot. And this is one of those tropes. I apologize for everybody for 20 years ago. Um, we'd have Big Show destroy Shane's limo, destroy it, do that whole deal, and fight security. The idea is that we want to build towards Big Show involved in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that goes on. I apologize. Vehicle destruction. It happens all the time. Um, 
then in the main event, we'd have Booker T and, and Jericho as a team against a couple of heels, whatever we're going to do. A lot of these things I didn't fill in because you don't need them. They're not the high points. Right. And, you know, I can't book, you know, I could sit there and I could write them a nice little great little 10-page idea and have, you know, Nash and Hall and Flair and Sting and all Goldberg and all the guys that they didn't have at the time or weren't even rumored to have. I could do that. But then we're in fantasy land. I try to stay grounded. Because yeah, um, you were trying to get a real job. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I, I can't, you know, there, if, if I sit there and I say, yeah, you're going to sign all these guys that you got to pay balloon payments to or whatever else they had on their contracts, and they go, we can't do that. They're just going to close the page and they're going to walk away from my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to stay real, at least. Maybe that's what happened as they saw the Triple H job and said, not real, and then bailed. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the idea in this tag match is that Booker and Jericho win. And then as the match ends, Vince jumps the rail in disguise. And he tries to run off with the WCW title. Again, that's the goal. We don't know it yet, but that's the goal. So Vince tries to jump the rail, steal the belt. He gets caught. Um, You know, Vince would hit hit, hit somebody in the fray, a a WCW employee, the whole deal. Um, Then it ends with Vince in the ring getting, you know, Booker T's finishing move, that kind of stuff. So that's how the first Nitro ends. And then we go into... We start trying to separate the products. Um, out of what Vince did and what Big Show did, uh, Shane threatens a lawsuit. Because, again, they have no rights and privileges there. And they interrupted the show, did all this other stuff. Such that Vince has to settle. And part of the terms for Vince settling is that Booker T and Jericho are going to face Big Show and Vince in a tag match on Nitro. So then you get them into that way. See, it's just back and forth, right? I'm trying mm-hmm. to make sure... People have the reason to watch between the shows. So that's what that is. And that's why I did the big show, destroying the vehicle, blah, blah, blah. Um, and of course, in this match, just to show that I didn't have a thing about Triple H, um, Jericho pins big show. We're trying to build Jericho. Yeah. That's how the tag match ends. Um, let me see. And then over the well, next... I, Go ahead. Well, I like that you added the, the courtroom stuff because that was very much like what WWF was doing back in those days. Oh, they 100%. Their skits and they, they, they've done several like courtroom type skits too. Um, so well, I, like, we're, oh, we're, I don't, I don't take it to the sense. court. I don't take it oh, to the okay. court. I don't take it to the court. Basically all it is is just like a threat back and forth with lawsuits. Um, you. where, you know, at most we're, we're having Vince on like a, you know, little phone on his desk or whatever. And the lawyers are like, you got to settle. It's not right. a courtroom thing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's just it, I try to keep it simple. I'm not going to have the you know, D'Lo Brown wasn't going to be the judge of this one. Um, okay. Call back, folks. No, this would have just been like a like a, a, a just a segment, right? Like an in ring. Yeah, segment. yeah. It's just it's yeah. just there'd be a few segments that play out across the show. And right. then and Cla- you know, Clarence Mason would have been the lawyer, of course. You have to have it has to be Clarence Mason. <laughs> Why? Yeah, exactly. Why not? Um, yeah. So we go back and forth, and then. Uh, let me see where I go next. So now we start working at the next layer, which is the ownership stake. The idea we're setting up is that Shane can go at will on WWF program. Vince can't You go to WCW. So we set up a match where the ownership stake is, is in play. So it would be Vince versus Shane. Sorry, I know the match would suck. It happens. WWF pay-per-view, though. With the idea of whoever, if Vince wins, he gets Shane's 25%. Shane, this is how we separate the products. 
and if Shane wins, he gets he gets Vince's twenty five percent, right? So this is this is the the stakes. And then what would happen out of this is that because of what's at hand, nobody the way it would work and be worded on this stipulation of this match is that nobody in WWF can help Vince. Nobody in WCW can help Shane. There's nothing that says nobody from WCW can help Vince. So that's what happens. So you go through the whole match. Vince looks like he's in deep trouble, going to lose 25% of this, of the promote of WWE, his 25%. So he'd be out, right? Jericho helps Vince win. And that's how you realize that the turn was in play. Mm. And that's how he can do it because it's WCW technically helping Vince not. Mm-hmm. So Vince wins. Shane's 25%. Vince reveals the plan. Jericho's going to get the WCW title and bring it back to me in six months or whatever time was left. Um, then we go right out into that. I'm trying to read. I'm sorry. I'm reading this stuff. It's not all off the top of my head. Um, this would be the window where Triple H would be upset. Not that night, but the following Monday Night Raw because obviously Vince knew, but he didn't clue in Triple H staff. This would also be part of pissing Steph off. So that's what happens there. So you can do whatever you want to do with Triple H at that point. And then that's where we go on to. So now we're separated. Vince isn't going to be on WCW TV anymore as far as showing up or anything like this. But now Shane has an infiltrator that's going to try to take his title. Um, over on, let me see. Sorry, I apologize for no, silence. No, you don't have to go. You don't have to go beat by. You don't have to go beat by beat with all of it either. You can just kind of give us some bullet points too, if it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bullet points are, he's over there now, and we, you know, Shane also does this. We're not playing. We're not being stupid about this. Shane does have his moment where he says, "Okay, look, that's fine. Whatever. You're here. I got to deal with you for six months, but I'm going to make your life hell. If you thought what Vince did was bad before." I'm going to make it worse, and you're never going to get a WCW title shot. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to give it to you. It's never going to happen. You're done. So we do kind of cover that because why would he give him a title shot if we already right. revealed the plan, right? But what this all sets up is an angle where Chris Jericho is going to put Linda McMahon in the walls of Jericho. Nice. So that that's that's what it builds to. And we, we have a little bit of thing. I'm going to cut through a lot of this right here. <clears throat> Basically, That's Trump on Trump crime right there. Jericho yeah, well, Lennon, this is sorry. way before Trump. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so long story short is that... January 6th exploding all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Vince and Jericho manipulate Linda into being at Nitro, and Shane is manipulated at being someplace else. So then what we have is we have Jericho with Linda in the ring on Nitro, Shane McMahon on the screen, and it's basically you've got to give me a title shot at the pay-per-view, which will be their first pay-per-view. You got to give me a title shot or I'm gonna hurt your mouth. And then you'd see that Vince is standing there and he would have a contract for Shane to sign. So Vince comes in. And you know, Shane agrees. Vince goes or Jericho goes to release Linda. Linda slaps him. Jericho grabs her back and then he looks to Vince and Vince gives Jericho the evil Vince look and thumbs down. Basically Vince green lights, Jericho hurting Linda. And then he puts her in the walls of Jericho and that's how we end that. 
That's very that's a very two thousand one ending to a raw. Yeah. That, that, well, this, like was, this was Nitro. This was Nitro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, WWF. Yeah. But it fits WWF air like at the time what they were doing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. For sure. So anyway, so we go to the pay per view now. Uh, Jericho wins the belt, and then here's where the chase turns. Now was Jericho trying to get the title? Now it's WCW trying to get the title from Jericho. Um, we we start off the Nitro right after the pay per view, and here's where we put a twist in. People should like this one. Um, Jericho's going to address the fans in, the, in that they need to pay close attention to his entrance, is what we were told. So the Jericho countdown starts, and you know how it had the countdown, you know, three, two, one, or whatever it was, and then it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember. We've changed the timer. The timer is now the days, hours, and minutes until his contract expires. Oh, that's a great uh, idea. Yeah, that's perfect. So. That's what that does. And then he comes out and he basically tells everybody, look, this is it. I'm taking the title. WCW is going to be dead before it really got started. You'll never, ever see it again. And that's how that does. Um, then Shane comes out, of course, because we can't let him have the last word on that. And then Shane just basically tells Jericho, look, okay, that's fine. Um, but between now and when your contract expires, you're going to be wrestling a lot of title matches. And we're going to do everything we can do to get the title. So what this does is, is this gives importance to every single match he has, even house shows at the time, because right? house shows were bigger. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be, you know, he's defending this title all over the place. So then um, we set up, obviously there'd be another pay-per-view here is my plan. And what we would set up here is a war games. It would be a non, it would be not a title match situation, but it'd be a war games because we're going to bring somebody back now. Um, so you'd have Jericho's team. The idea is that the war games was set up because, you know, Shane wants Jericho to get his ass kicked in a cage and weaken him. He's trying to weaken him down. Um, and we bring back at this point, big Papa pump, Scott Steiner. He'd be the guy. I got pages of Steiner ideas that I never got to do, by the way, that were going to be hopefully pitched to WCW if, if I had been there. Um, Steiner would come back and then we would set up. Jericho's final title defense, and that would be against Scott Steiner. So that was the idea there, is that he'd come back. And I'd written a promo in there, basically, you know, that, let me see. Um, Steiner would basically tell him something like, you know, can't stand him because he's going to take the title back to his daddy in Connecticut. And just all, you can imagine what Steiner would say, right? Yeah. And this stuff. Um, and that was little, that. He would add a lot more colorful language, I imagine, too. <laughs> oh, I, well, I, I do write that. Um, let me see something like, yeah, you're nothing, you're nothing but Vince McMahon's bitch until Starcade, and then you're gonna be my bitch. That kind of stuff. That's the stuff you would say. Um, yeah, if you then, yeah, exactly. All that stuff, dude. I had so much stuff for Steiner. And then basically just Jericho retains, he keeps the title and we set up the big victory party the next day on raw. And that's when the idea ends. I did give them some options. I had options. I didn't write down because of course I didn't know them. Um, you know, what would happen? Um, but that was the idea. He'd retain it and take it back because we want to get that big thing on, on raw the next day. And my plan was because of course, you know, Vince had green light, the, the beating on Linda, um, that now his whole family turned against him, you know, in, in Lynch, Linda and staff would have 50% to Vince's 50% so they can do things. So in the back of my mind, the idea was Jericho would come back. They would sign somebody like flair or sting. 
to a one-day WWF contract, and then they would book the match on Raw, where Jericho would have to defend. Shane could say it's a title match, and that's how you get the, the title back to WCW. You could reintroduce Flair, that whole deal, or Sting, if they wanted to pay them. But, you know, I didn't book that far out. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, your idea was about uh, let me see, let me do some Steiner math about three billion times better than what they actually ended up doing. <laughs> numbers um, don't lie. Yeah, yeah, the num- the no- yeah the the number the numbers don't lie. Um, and because you know, we we talk about it. So everybody, stay tuned next week right here on Thanksgiving. We're gonna release our our inv- WCW invasion storyline. WCW Raw or WCW Nitro was going to replace Raw at one point. So like this was very much on the table. So John was not like writing just to write like this was like a, a pitch for the for a company that was absolutely going to exist and the best thing to do would have been to incorporate the wwf stuff onto wcw and have them cross pollinate a little bit um to mm-hmm. make sure the wcw was on the level of the wwf and i thought that you did that very well well thanks um and that was the goal because you know again in the timing too worked out was this was going to be your december starcade so if you're thinking long range this is just the first salvo of a war. We haven't even thought about invasions or cross promotion matches or interpromotional matches. Really, this is the start, and it would it would have timed out to where you're in December, and now with with Linda and Steph having equal power to Vince, they could enforce or bring together an actual either war or interpromotional situation. You could do that if you wanted, um, but it, they just wanted to launch it, and that was the idea. And here's the other thing too is that I was paying attention. They held on to this for five or six weeks um, without hearing anything from them. And I was watching Raw, and they did. I don't remember what it was at the time. I remember I remember the feeling, but I don't remember the instance. But basically, they did something on Raw where I said, oh, shit, they just broke the, the cannon on my idea. Baseball fans, are you excited for the upcoming season? I know I am. It is time to gear up and show your team spirit with MLB Shop, the official online store of Major League Baseball. Find the latest jerseys, hats, apparel, and collectibles for all 30 MLB teams at MLB Shop. Represent your favorite players, your hometown team, or relive classic moments with exclusive throwback gear. Gear up for the season at MLB Shop. Whether you're cheering from the stands or watching at home, show your love for the game with official MLB merchandise make sure you use our exclusive link voices of wrestling.com slash mlb shop to help support the voices of wrestling podcast network again it's voices of wrestling.com slash mlb shop you'll pay the exact same price the exact same items everything is exactly the same about your shopping experience but a small percentage of every sale comes back to us so again it's voices of wrestling.com slash mlb shop the official online store of major league baseball Oh man. And then within a week I had the rejection. Wow. So does that mean anything? Is it just timing? Is it coincidence? Or is it one of those ones where if we're going to go with it, we'll, you know, we'll maybe do business with him or, you know, once they decided they weren't, it was done. I I don't know. Um, But that was about the timing because I sat there watching. I was patiently waiting and, you know, then they broke the cannon. I'm like, ah, I'm done. And then I got the nice little uh, Stephanie rejection letter. So. And that's just, and that's what sucks is that like <clears throat> she basically pushed herself onto the creative team during the company's hot phase, and the shows were not good, and they started really losing steam 
before WrestleMania 17, right? Like they really do. The shows start going down. Ratings are starting to slip. Everything's starting to move down. And then the invasion happens and people are excited again. So it goes up. And then within weeks, it's a fucking disaster. It's a fucking disaster. And it breaks my heart because I hear this well-thought-out idea in this character stuff and it being around a guy that everybody that was a fan in the era was wanted to see get to the next level, right? Everybody wanted to see Chris Jericho ascend. And they just didn't do it. Like, they just refused to actually move forward this is the era when chris jericho seen with kane because he got coffee spilled on him right and all that kind of stuff like this yeah. is what they were this is the this is like the genius of stephanie mcmahon she fucking sucked and it was a terrible era of television and i just i hate the rose-colored glasses of of what the attitude era really was it was a lot of bad tv and this well, would and have they, been a lot better yeah and then that people will point to the fact that jericho beat the rock and stone cold on the same night but okay yeah he did and he got those titles but then he became like stephanie mcmahon's like understudy like right after that you know what i mean and like they made him look like a pansy he was walking her dog all the way mm -hmm. up into WrestleMania 18 and then they blame that whole title run on him like he was the failure when really it was just the creative he was just another cog in the mcmahon machine just feuding with triple h and he was stephanie mcmahon's bitch like he beat stone cold on the rock and it meant dick because mm -hmm. of the way that they treated him afterwards um and i i don't know i they they never you know, they never really wanted to get behind Jericho. And then they, they, they kind of gave him a half-assed opportunity and then just bitched him out quick. Yeah. Stephanie. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, let's just say this. I mean, the way that worked out, I took great pleasure when the first AEW champ, the first time those competitioning as WWF, the first champ was Jericho. I took a lot of pleasure out of that one. Cause yeah. that was your guy and your story that never quite, that never quite hit it. And it's like I said, it's a shame because it's better. And yeah. I know I did an article about your uh your um elite storyline, well I should say from WCW that would have relaunched the cruiserweight division. And that was certainly better than what we had with WCW because <laughs> what we had was nothing. So I mean, yeah. like it was a shame that um it's a shame that these exist as alternate universe takes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, just the way, you know, it's all time and place. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and the other thing about the WCW piece is, and, and this is, and I'll say this too, cause I know Eric gets a bad rap and often deservedly. So, um, he's an idiot. Continue. Yeah. But in 2001, just so everybody understands in 2001, when they brought me out there to meet him, I went there with the idea of looking for a reason to say, this is going to fail. Whatever he wanted to do was going to fail. I went there with that because, again, I didn't trust the situation. I was more than happy to take it because it was exciting. But I went there thinking, all right, well, I've got my list of questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to listen to him talk. I'm going to let him tell me what he can tell me. Um, I'm waiting for the failure point. And throughout that conversation, he said everything I needed to hear that made me think, all right, this can be different than what it was. In other words, I had hope. And I went there thinking there would be no hope. Just so everybody knows. He said everything he needed to say. The cruiserweights were going to be separate. I wasn't going to have to worry about people. Of course, things can change. I wasn't going to have to worry about people jobbing out my guys. The idea behind it was get guys over. Some guys would move out of the cruiserweights, you know, so there would be actual momentum and we can move the product forward. Um, all the things that I needed to hear, I heard. 
from Eric. And he was talking to Dave at the time. Another thing everybody else needs to understand. He was listening to Dave. The nonsense he <laughs> saw, the nonsense he says and things about Dave, he says he was listening to Dave. And, and that was one of his more, more, more coherent times. Okay. So um, I even asked, and I got greedy as it went. Once I knew what he was heading towards, I asked for a seat at the table, any other stuff too. And he said, yes. So I wasn't going to be in my own little universe with the cruisers. Um, I would have had input into other areas. Now, whether or not they listened, who knows, but it was not just you're off in your little corner with your cruisers. And he wanted to have a relationship with Japan, you know? So anyway, we missed out, man. Eric, Bischoff. I mean, even, even if it couldn't have been me, I would have liked that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, Stu Snyder and Brad Siegel had other ideas. They wanted to sell <laughs> WWF from from the get go. Yes. yes, and kind of used Bischoff as a patsy to get that deal done. Right when you really, I said I got a conversation with Guy uh, Evans a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know it was interesting going back and look at that Nitro book because you know, they really talk about that. And now Bix and Selner did a really good thing too, talking about how. You know, the, the the Bishop thing was never going to happen. They just let him kind of dangle on a hook while they tried to figure out how they can make the sale to WWF work. Which right. is, again, another just tremendous shame. Eric Bishop, he's a he's a douche. Imagine, I mean, imagine what kind of a douche you have to be to have a podcast with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's hey, John, man, we I know I, <laughs> yeah, John, hey, we really appreciate you coming yeah. on, man, and finally getting Thanks. the chance to tell us this story. This was awesome. Thanks for um, having me. Yeah, no, it, it's it's been great. You're obviously you're you're always welcome uh, to come on to here. And uh, guys, everybody in the chat, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, thank you, Joe, AC, Tuan, uh, Renee, Josiah, Jason, Bryant, uh, King of the North, and David Hadley. Thank you all for being here in the chat. Um, and if you're listening to this video, um, or if you're listening to this podcast, sorry, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, please head over to our premium uh, site at patreon.com slash the Mike and JD show, where we, uh, we have all of our premium content there. We're actually going to be recording in overtime as soon as this is over and we'll get that out to you soon. And, uh, and then next week we'll have another overtime where hopefully like sometime this weekend, JD and I are going to get together to talk about the, uh, the Hall of Famers that just got announced by Wrestling Observer uh, Newsletter. I was hoping that we get to break the news while John was on the air and get some insight from him, but they still have not posted the damn newsletter, even okay. though it's basically yeah. Friday where you guys are at. So I was hoping that we could do that. So we're going to have to table that and hopefully get to it this weekend. So everybody stay tuned for that. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give us a big thumbs up. Make sure that you're a subscriber and then lay down a comment. John Muse, uh, thanks as always. And I want everybody to do John Muse a favor. Go to Max. And watch Banshee. It will change your oh, life. I guarantee oh. it. Yes. He, he, yes. He he got he sold me on it. And I was like, you know what, John? I love you. I respect. I'm gonna give this a shot. And uh, I have I I love that show. I want everybody to check out Banshee in honor of John Muse. Thanks. That that'd be the that's the best plug. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm telling yes, you, but, you will not be. To, of course, there is sexual content, so don't with watch Lana, with with Lana with CJ Perry. <laughs> yeah. 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 She's in there. Episode six, season one. Um, yeah. I'm telling you, everybody listening, it's a great show. Great action. It's like 80s, 80s action movies mixed with some wrestling and fights, and it's great stuff. And the plot is tight, and the, it has a great closing. Four seasons. It'll be good. Yes. Yes, great, great stuff. All right, everybody, and until next time, mahalo.
Music, it's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.